Technology and the Sea. Fascination Marine Technology. A podcast by Bärbel Fiening in cooperation with the German Association for Marine Technology, GMT. Welcome to this podcast episode, which is all about the electricity that is generated from wind on our seas and the offshore wind farms. Without marine technology, it wouldn't work. Every single wind turbine is anchored to the seabed. Offshore wind energy is highly topical, not just because of the current energy crisis. The German government wants to rapidly increase its expansion. One of the topics I talked about with Karina Wirtz, who is the managing director of the Offshore Wind Energy Foundation. At the end of 2021, there were 1,500 wind turbines with an installed capacity of 8 gigawatts off the German coasts, mainly in the North Sea, but also in the Baltic Sea. These numbers will change rapidly in the coming years. At least that's the plan of the federal government. Karina. what's going to happen due to these plans? Yeah, it's going to be a very intense and fascinating market development that we're going to see in Germany. 30 gigawatts, that's the plan, is the installed capacity by 2030. Is that realistic? Mm. Can that be done? 30 gigawatts of uh, installed capacity for offshore wind energy is indeed the new target for 2030. It is always good to have a vision, <laughs> but um, we need to ensure now together with um, our regulatory bodies, with the government, with um, ministries, that these visions do not remain completely academic There is a lot to do in Germany in terms of industrial policies, uh, specific measures targeted at um, increasing um, fabrication capacities, shortening permit times. As you all know, uh, Germany is famous for having very, very long permitting durations. And um, this definitely needs to be changed in order to unleash the potential that we actually see in the market. How long does it normally take from planning to commissioning an offshore wind farm? In German waters, as I said, <laughs> the uh, permitting, the regulatory aspects so of the permitting time takes uh, the majority of the whole duration. And I would say that we've seen projects uh, that uh, took more than 10 years from initial development to commissioning. So on the one hand are all these regulations. What about the industry? On the other hand, is the industry prepared? Well, that's indeed a very good question. At the moment, I would say um, there is still a lot to be done. So a clear no. As you know, there is a lot of increasing international competition in the offshore wind sector. Um, all countries, basically, all developed countries with a significant coastline and seawaters have given themselves offshore wind uh, installation targets by now or are about to do that in the very near future. And this is all going to um, need basically the same 
fabrication uh, potentials that are existing by now. So we are all going to head for the same turbine uh, manufacturers, for the same uh, monopile foundation um, fabricators, for the same converter station um, fabricators. And um, this is going to be a major bottleneck in the future. It is already now, but it's going to be a huge one in the future. You are managing director of the Offshore Wind Foundation. It's a foundation of the German industry. Who's behind this foundation? Yeah, um, indeed, we are um, a public um, foundation uh, with uh, more than 90 trustees in our board. So more than 90 members. Um, and um, they basically cover the whole value chain of the offshore wind sector in Germany and uh, partially also in Europe. Um, we have uh, OEMs, so offshore um, turbine manufacturers. Uh, we have foundation fabricators. We have uh, um, operators of offshore wind farms. We have the transmission uh, operators, the TSOs like um, Tenet, who's also uh, well-known in, in the Netherlands, and um, also in, in Germany, also Amprion and 50 Hertz. Um, we have um, the uh, seaports and harbors, um, vessel operators, and uh, last but not least, um, also the whole part of banking, finance, insurance, engineering, certification bodies, And politics and administration. So, and this both on on national, federal, as on single state level. What's your goal with this foundation? Well, the objective, the very broad, abstract objective of the foundation that has been founded in 2005, by the way, has been to promote and facilitate um, offshore wind as a major electricity source uh, in Germany. It has been originally actually founded by a handful of um, uh, idealistic people. They were very visionary at that time in 2005. Uh, no one in Germany actually seriously uh, considered uh, offshore wind electricity as a substantial part of the future German electricity mix. And uh, they have had that visionary foresight uh, and saw what is needed, which is basically to bring together um, all these different sectors that I just mentioned that are actually also part of our board of trustees. Uh, these are all sectors that, from their very nature, do not naturally speak with each other and are not in uh, in common exchange with each other. So this is one of our main objectives, actually, to offer a platform, to offer networking events, um, to offer working groups where we can bring together the various actors of the various sectors in, in the offshore wind business in Germany. And recently, we have also welcomed um, first uh, international, truly international players in our board of trustees. So also we are making our step towards uh, a more global approach to offshore wind, which is actually what the sector is. It is global. It's not only German. Are there comparable foundations in other European countries? There are um, a lot of associations around that in their majority cover both on and offshore wind. Uh, we are 
solely focused on offshore and um, we are a non-profit charitable organization. Um, this is also in a way uh, differentiating us from um, other associations around who by their very nature have a focus on lobbying work. And we would say that we have a much broader focus. Um, we are non-party, we cover all sectors and we also have quite a focus on the general public. So we also offer content for the general public and this is certainly something that differentiates us from other organizations. Um, but there are a lot of associations around that cover offshore wind energy, yeah. How do you work? Um, well, basically, we uh, pursue our four main uh, targets that we got for the foundation, which is basically consultancy and advisory for political and governmental organizations. It's the networking aspect that I already mentioned, bringing together the different sectors, helping new entrants into the market. And um, a lot of content for the general public. Uh, we go to schools. We have uh, we have a range of children's books by now, and um, we uh, have an exposition which is also targeted at the general public. And we offer that to communities, to cities, to town halls, uh, um, and the likes. And uh, we do a lot of. R&D projects, and this is perhaps also in a very interesting aspect for our international audience here. The foundation covers all aspects of offshore wind energy in that. So both technological, for example, inspections via thermographic drones or also natural um, aspects like uh, underwater species and natural reef development. But uh, yeah, also dedicated international projects uh, that we've done in the past and that we do now. In the past, we've done uh, a lot around mesh grids in the North Sea and in the Baltic Sea. And now we are starting a new project on offshore wind and hydrogen again in the Baltic Sea with international partners uh, from our Baltic neighbors. It's called Bowie to H. And uh, we have another project running, uh, which is called German Offshore Wind Initiative, which offers contacts from Germany to core international markets like the US, Japan and Taiwan, but also from those countries into Germany. So also for those who are interested to invest in Germany, to understand how the German market works, this is something that we offer as sort of our international surfboard. Is there a common European offshore strategy or does each country work on its own? That's a very good question and a very valid one. Um, offshore wind as such, at least for some key components, is truly global. And also the larger operators are truly global. Um, but politics and policies remain on a single state level. And that is a problem, both for uh, fabricators, for OEMs, but also for, for operators and developers. And on European level, we are not yet in a desired state where we have um, targeted uh, strategy that covers all European countries that engage in offshore wind. 
for the time being. For example, there are tender rules for the um, offshore wind areas for developers, and they are different in each and every country. So if you look into the Netherlands, um, you have um, a set of pricing and uh, non-price criteria, and in particular, the non-price criteria differ vastly from those that have now been agreed in Germany. Germany originally wanted to focus solely on price criteria. So basically, who pays most for an area and an offshore grid connection gets the job. But at the same time, you could also ask a question, what else do we want to achieve apart from having an offshore wind farm up and running there? So you could also pursue industrial politics goals, for example. You could say, well, I want to have at least perhaps not national, but European content in the fabrication. I don't want to have the fabrication taking place all over in, in Asia, for example, but I need sort of the backing of uh, our local population. And this is reached by having considerable economic commercial effects here where they live and not someplace else. And these kind of considerations and how you come from that political objective into a feasible and pragmatic auction criteria, this is totally different in each and every European country. And there is no kind of common board or there are no initiatives to make a change. There are, particularly through our partner Wind Europe. Uh, Wind Europe is um, the wind association on European level on and offshore wind. And um, Uh, we work closely together with those guys and um, we hope that all associations and foundations active in offshore wind in European countries can contribute to um, finding and designing a feasible solution, a pragmatic solution that can be uh, utilized by all single states on European level. We are on our way, but we are far from achieving that goal so far. How's the international cooperation? How are you connected? Well, first of all, we are connected um, via our international partners, uh, other associations in particular. Um, but um, for example, we are also building up an international network because we are um, Uh, a bit of a unique focal point of contact for international delegation um, visits, site visits, so to speak. There, At the moment, we get a lot of requests from uh, international delegations that come to Germany to see how offshore wind has been developed in Germany, both in terms of the commercial sector as well as in terms of governmental um, and regulatory aspects. So all the capacity building that has taken place over the last uh, decades in Germany for offshore wind energy um, is uh, in the focus is of interest for international delegations. And I've just uh, recently uh, welcomed uh, delegations from Korea, Vietnam, um, Brazil, uh, the US, and uh, from all over the world. And that's a fascinating um, source of input for us as well. That's interesting. So Germany was a first mover in the offshore wind energy, but is Germany still a role model? That's a good question. I need to say that Germany has not been the first mover, but one of the first. Okay. So our yeah. colleagues from UK and Denmark have been uh, 
a bit faster than than we've been. Actually, in some countries where a significant oil and gas sector has been offshore wind energy developed faster than in others. I'm not sure to what extent we are still a role model. I think to be a role model, you actually need to be fast, make the right decisions at the right speed. And this is something that I think we need to get a lot better in. So is this the biggest challenge for the next years? This is one of the biggest challenges, I would say. The other big challenge is from our perspective at the moment that uh, the bottlenecks in our industrial base uh, and also security aspects. So the war in Ukraine was a dramatic eye-opener. And uh, I think we not only need a common set of tender criteria and regulation for offshore wind energy in Europe, we also need a common approach to uh, security, of securing our energy base out in the sea. Uh, what does it mean if there are more and more wind farms in our oceans or in the North Sea? What does it mean for the aquatic life? What does it mean for the fishery? What does it mean for other stakeholders? Yeah, that's uh, indeed one of our challenges. Other stakeholders that also have a right to use our oceans or seawaters have conflicting interests and certainly mixed feelings towards offshore wind energy um, for good reason, certainly. We are now in a phase where we're going to reserve a lot of space for offshore wind energy. And um, that means that other stakeholders of that sea bed possibly have to restrict their own usage of that ocean. And um, th this is always conflictuous. Um, I already mentioned that design criteria in Europe are differing a lot. Same holds true, for example, for regulation towards fisheries and compensation, but also sort of the approach towards collaboration with the military differs vastly in Europe. Perhaps a spotlight on fishery. In German waters, both Baltic Sea and North Sea, fishery is not allowed in offshore wind farms. Is it different in other waters? Yes, in Denmark, for example, or in UK waters, um, the uh, approach is uh, a lot different. Commercial fisheries is allowed in offshore wind farms. In Germany, the offshore wind farms have been specifically set up as a natural protection area in order sort of to compensate for the usage of natural areas. Um, it has been decided on political level that there should be no fisheries in, in these offshore wind farms, which is certainly very critical for the German fisheries sector. It needs to be said that as a proportion of uh, German GDP, the fishery sector is a very small one. So they do not have a loud voice in Berlin. This is why such a strong regulation pro-natural protection and against commercial fisheries could have been taken in Germany. I tell that because I'm sometimes asked by fishermen in, in the UK, how that has been made possible in, in Germany. That causes surprise and astonishment sometimes. What we see is in particular 
that due to the natural reef building effect in offshore wind farms, and certainly also because there is no fisheries activities, we see a strong increase in uh, the population of um, certain species. Certainly there are some species that benefit more from that than others. But, uh, for example, the mackerel and the cod is something that uh, definitely profits from these natural protection areas. And this is um, an important positive aspect, actually, for the Baltic Sea. As you know, the fishery quota for the Baltic Sea have a long history of ever being reduced and reduced further up to a, a net zero, if you want to. Uh, in particular, in the Western Baltic Sea, the population of cod has completely collapsed. And um, we see here also a chance that uh, these populations can be stabilized and increased again. Nevertheless, I think our way for the future must be to get away from this black or white regulation and to find pragmatic compromises that also allow our local fishermen to survive in the fishery business in the future. Ocean cleanup is a huge topic. Regarding the North Sea and the Baltic Sea, there are tons of munitions on the seabed. What does that mean for the installation of offshore wind farms? Uh, it's a huge topic. Unexploded ordnance, uh, UXO, is uh, very, very present still uh, in uh, the German North and Baltic Sea. And um, it has been there uh, rotting around for for decades there was no viable commercial interest to remove it there were just sort of the claims from the natural protection areas and also from fishermen but the challenge has not been tackled on a fundamental level there have been a lot of single initiatives but uh, not with a result of a significant cleanup of of our seabed um, so this is probably a very positive uh, spin-off of offshore wind energy that um, there is now a viable commercial interest to clean up the seabed to undertake and pay for UXO detection and clearance in our waters. And that's probably a very good thing, a very positive thing. Yeah, it's definitely necessary. And it's it's also a target of the federal government, but it's a, a huge target. Yes, and th these are for the time being standalone initiatives. On the one hand side, we have offshore wind targets. And on the other hand, we have ocean cleanup targets. You could perfectly bring these two together via, for example, yeah, introducing that into auction criteria, uh, tender criteria. Um, but this is probably something where we still have to do a bit of advisory work in Berlin. <laughs> okay, so go ahead. <laughs> Thank you, Karina. Thank you very much, Bärbel, for your time. That was today's podcast episode. I talked to Karina Wurz, who is the Managing Director of the Offshore Wind Energy Foundation. In two weeks, that will be the next podcast episode, so I highly recommend subscribing to this podcast. Thanks for a quick review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Bye! Technology and the Sea Destination Marine Technology. A 
Podcast bei Bärbel Fening in Cooperation with the German Association for Marine Technology, GMT. Musik